Off Podcast, Episode 3. I'm Byron, and I'll be your host today. If you want to visit our website, feel free to do so at www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, or you have ideas for a future show, please send an email to hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. All right, today we are going to be discussing the runes. Uh, I don't have any co-hosts on today because this is really going to be more like a lecture because I am going to give a basic overview of the runes, um, go over the definitions, where they came from, etc. Now, we will have more podcasts on the runes in the future, and I will have hosts or co-hosts there to discuss discuss certain things about them. But today, we're going to get a basis. So, uh, again, it's going to be more like a lecture, so I guess I'm going to take this one on my own. Now, a good place to start learning about the runes is... I have pretty much everything I'm going to discuss on this podcast written up on my website. And you can just go to my website, hugenhoff.org, and click on the runes tab, and there's going to be a basic definition of all of the runes. So, and there's also a little description about them at the beginning, and then some more comments on the end. So, most everything I'm going to go over is actually on that website, so please feel free to check that out. So first of all, we have to ask, what are the runes? Well, the simplest answer is they're letters. They're an alphabet. They're a language. But they're more than that. They're also a divination system and a magical system. So to help understand the runes, I have to talk a little bit about Odin. Now, Odin is the god of knowledge and the god of language. Uh... He's a god who held knowledge more important than anything else. He's the All-Father, the father of the gods. Um, and knowledge was his most important thing. Uh, wisdom was his most important thing. And he's a god of magic. He's a god of language. So the runes were actually given to us by Odin. They're the basis of language. Again, an alphabet. There's a story where Odin sacrifices his eye for wisdom. Um, he goes to the well of Mimur and asks what the price to drink from the well is, because this is a well that gives you wisdom. And uh, he's told that the price is his eye. So he pulls out his eye and throws it in the well, without even a second thought. And then he hung himself on the world tree overhanging the well so he was on the world tree looking into the well pierced by his own spear sacrificing self for self and he hung there for nine days and on the ninth day he peers deep into the well of Mamur and he sees the runes and he pulls them out of the well and then he gives them to humanity part of what that's showing is just how integral just how important and just how magical language really is Again, when you think about language and you think about magic, they're sort of the same thing in many ways. You think about a grimoire. It's just kind of a fancy way to say grammar. Or you think about spells. I mean, you spell words and you cast spells. They're very connected. Part of what magic is is 
using language using language to influence the world because language does influence the world constantly we talk about the world and that changes it uh, we see the world through a linguistic filter and that's how we interact with it you know you only sit on a chair because it has the linguistic value of chair which has the meaning of something you sit on our whole lang our whole world is defined through language so why I'm saying this is because the runes are two things they're a language and they're a magical system and I want to say why that makes sense and there will probably be more on that as these podcasts continue but let's go on <clears throat> these definitions are going to come from the study that I have done on the rune, you know, some of the books I've read, the three original rune poems, which are very important, um, and also my own personal work with them. So, a big part of these runes comes from my own personal gnosis. So what that means is you don't want to take what I say as absolutely true if you think it's completely wrong, because there is some of my own personal gnosis in here. I do say that I have based this on research and work with the rune, so, you know, most of them are going to be pretty much on track, and I think they're all right, but anytime you're looking at any magical system, keep in mind that the author is always going to have some of their own personal understanding in there, so never take anything as absolutely set in stone true. Okay, um... Let's see. So let's go ahead and start and start with some places that I got the information for the runes. And you can get some information for the runes. Good places the Germania uh, by Tacitus. What the Germania is, is Tacitus was a Roman historian and he went to what was called the Germania. It's kind of where Germany is now. And the people there were Ostru. Of course, they didn't call it Ostru. It was just their religion. It was part of their life. But it's what we call Ostru today. And he went there and he studied them and wrote about their gods and their customs, etc. He also wrote about the runes. So what they did in the Germania, um, these people, they would go to a fruit or nut-bearing tree and cut off little pieces of wood, staves, and they'd cut off 24 of these, and on each piece they would write a different rune. And then what they would do, and that, you know, that would probably be a ceremonial practice. Um, when they had these 24 stays with runes written on them, they would lay out a white cloth, the reader would, and then they would look up into the sky and just throw the runes up in the air and let them land on the cloth. And they'd reach out and pull three. And then, you know, reach out and grab three runes while still looking up. And then they look at the three runes they had grabbed, see what they were, and make some sort of interpretation off of that. You know, if it was, what does the future hold, or what should we do, or what, whatever they were doing that for, whatever their goal of that ritual was. Oftentimes, divination, they would make sense of those three runes. Um... I already mentioned that I've had some of my own personal gnosis. Uh, and 
what that means is I work with well it means I work with the runes and when you do that you just see things you see the connections between them on your own it doesn't come from a source it doesn't come from a book but you see some extra meaning come and if you yourself work with the runes similar things will happen alright uh, the other really big place which is important is the three original rune poems that's the Icelandic Norwegian and Anglo-Saxon uh, now these are linked in on my website I believe under the links yes they are under uh, the Hugenhoff website under links there's going to be rune poems and more rune poems which are just some different um, uh, translations of these three original rune poems now something to keep in mind about the three original rune poems is they are some of the oldest poems that give definitions of the runes however they're not nearly as old as the runes they came around in the conversions when the Christians were coming and converting people to to that religion. So you have to take them with a grain of salt because there's a lot of Christian stuff in there. But then there's also some of the original, the Norse stuff and the rune meaning, meanings because both of, the, both of the religions were kind of worn with each other but they were existing at the same time when these rune poems existed. So it's a great, great, great place to start. But like with many things of the runes, you need to take it with a grain of salt. Another great place to find information about the runes is, you know, read other people's stuff. There's a, uh, there's a lot of books on the runes. Edred Thorson does a book on the runes that I've read, which is pretty good. Uh, it just the list would go on. It's huge. So there's so many books on the runes. You're like, well, how do I even start? And websites, you're like, how do I even start? Well, you just kind of take one and look at it. So here's some things to look for that would say they probably don't know anything about the runes. If you see, if you open the book and you see there's a blank rune, just put the book down. Just put the book down. It's not worth reading. Let's think about it. A blank rune, the runes are an alphabet, right? Well, space isn't a letter. I mean, you can have an A, a B, a C, but a space is not a letter. There's no meaning to that. And I believe this actually comes from uh, Ralph H. Bloom, who wrote a book about the runes. It was probably pretty much one of the first ones, which uh, he definitely deserves credit for starting the process of bringing them more mainstream. But he came from a background of tarot, and I guess there's a blank card in the tarot deck, so he wanted to add a blank rune. But the tarot and the runes, you know, they're two systems, and each one has its benefits, but they're not the same. The runes are a lot more fluid, and they're just absolutely not the tarot deck. So if you see a blank rune, you pretty much know that's not a source you really want to trust too much. The other thing is Merkstave or upside down. Some people say that if a rune's upside down, it has another meaning. Again, in my opinion, an A and an upside down A, still the same letter. So I don't put much stock in that. Now, you could see, I guess, in personal gnosis that, oh, as this rune ends up being upside down, it would it would be a more negative connotation of the same thing. So if I saw Merkstave and 
everything else was good, I might might let it slide, but I'm not comfortable with that. It's another thing that comes from the tarot deck. If a tarot card's reversed, it means something different. Which, ironically, that was added later. That's a later addition even to the tarot deck. Um, but those are some things that I would kind of watch for, and if you see those, don't use those. But the best thing is, you know, find this website or rune book or whatever, read through the definitions, and say to yourself, does... You know, read three or four of them say do at least most of these make sense are they in line with what the rune poems are saying are they in line with what I've read elsewhere does this have a good reason for saying why they mean these does it fit in the big picture and you know if it does then then that's great um, go ahead and read that and you don't have to believe everything in there but maybe you can get some information out of it Alright, so the next thing <clears throat> I'm just going to touch on this today is the idea of a bind rune, in case you've heard of that. If you want to see an example of the bind rune, and again, I'm using my own website as an example because, well, the biggest reason is I know there's no copyright infringement problems, plus I'm familiar with it. I've got the web page open right now, so there you go. If you want an example of a bind rune, just go to the Hugenhoff page and click on the about us tab second tab says about us and in the right hand corner you'll see the Hugenhoff bind rune basically what it is is it's the Hagel's rune and the Urza's rune for Hugen and then the Hagel's rune again and the Othila rune for Hoff so it's the Hugenhoff bind rune and what happens and why they call it a bind rune is you've taken all of these runes and you've put them together so they look like one complete picture. That's how you make a bind rune. Um, you know, you have three, well, two or more runes, and if you're doing it for a magical purpose, you would pick runes that would accomplish whatever goal you had and put them together like this so that they're the same. So, for example, in this one, you know, you've got the Haggles rune, which looks kind of like an H, and then the last leg of it is shared with the Urzus rune, which um, you can, it, it looks like a, kind of like horns pointing down. That's sort of where that shape may have came from. But, and you can look at the website for the actual picture, which is very helpful here. But you can see that its first leg is also the Haggles' rune last leg. So you put them together. That's, that's all I'm saying here. You put them together. Um, and that's called a, a bind rune. Okay, and there may be more on that in the future. Um, I'm not sure because it's a very visual thing. To You have to look at bind runes, but I may still go over them and, and put some stuff in the show notes with examples or something. But that's for the future, not for today. The next thing I wanted to discuss is there are actually multiple rune alphabets. I use the Elder Futhark. You know, there's also the Younger. Uh, I think the Elder is best. For a couple of reasons. And it's kind of the most popular, so that works out. Number one, it's the oldest. We know archaeologically, we found runestones with the elder Futhark, and usually in a circle, that date back older than any of the younger Futharks do. So that's a big reason. Now the second one really goes with the first one. It was least influenced by Christianity. And if you want to understand the runes, with that story of Odin drawing them out of the well, you can see that you want something that 
it isn't really that influenced by Christianity. You want something that's closest to Odin, because he's the one who drew him out of the well. So the Elder Futhark, as far as we can tell, was made before the whole Christian thing happened, so everyone was probably worshipping or honoring the old gods. Whereas the younger Futharks were actually created once Christianity had already started to uh, move in, the, the conversions were underway, so the people who were writing and making these younger Futharks were very possibly Christian. So there's just going to be a lot more Oh, what would you call it? Interference, a lot more influence that you'd have to sift out. So I think the Elder Futhark makes sense for that. Also, I think the Elder Futhark makes sense. Um, when you look at the meanings of the runes, they go together in a certain rational fashion. I'm not sure if I'm going to have time to go over that part of it today. We'll just sort of see how the time goes. Um... But if you look at the entire rune poem, you can see that it's actually telling a story from start to finish. And the Elder Futhark does that really well, whereas some other ones don't. And if we don't get to that today, I'll definitely get to it in the in a future podcast. Or another thing to think about is the last rune. Is it Othila or Dagus? Um, it's Dagus, in my opinion. There's actually kind of a debate about this one. Because some of those old rune poems would end with Othella, some of them would end with Dagus. If you look at it, both of them kind of make sense, and they're kind of saying something different. <clears throat> I think Dagus makes sense. My own personal gnosis says that Dagus is the last one, but there is some controversy around that. So, again, I say Dagus is the last rune. Alright, so there's an introduction. Let's move on to the meanings. <clears throat> and again, if you just want to go to huginhof.org, H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org, and click on the runes tab, so that's huginhof.org slash runes, this is going to have all the runes and all of these definitions I'm about to go over, so it's great to have it up while I'm discussing it. Uh, of course, I listen to podcasts in the car, so I'm going to make it possible so that you don't actually need to have it up. We will start with, um, oh, the runes are broken into three parts. reason we know this is in the original rune poems and the way words were written in runes, oftentimes they do two dots to represent a space. Next word. Again, if you think about the blank rune I talked about, it still doesn't make sense, but it still wouldn't be a blank. It would be two dots. Um Still, a space doesn't make sense to... I mean, a space isn't a letter. <clears throat> anyway, so what will happen is there'll be a rune stone, and it'll have the entire Futhark in a big circle. And it will do the first eight runes, then these two dots, then the second eight runes, then these two dots, and the third eight runes, and these two dots. So there's three groups of eight. And, I mean, you can see there's probably... You can see there's a lot of significance to to those numbers, but those two dots just show us that it's broken into three groups of eight. So we call these ets. Um, 
and the ats each one has been given a name there's not necessarily historical evidence that they used to be called this as far as i can tell but the names make sense to me so i continue to use them i mean we have to remember we've lost a lot of a lot of our knowledge of the runes a lot of our knowledge of the lore so and it's a living religion and it's a living system so if something comes up everybody starts using it and it really makes sense we might as well use it too and this is one of those cases so again the names of the ets not necessarily historical i think they'd make enough sense to use them so i'm going to uh the first et is phrase at so we have the idea of the earth of earthly things and you can <clears throat> kind of see how that makes sense and when I show how the runes fit together, I'm going to get into that more. So let's start with Phrasat and the first rune, which is Feo. <clears throat> it's a letter F, and it means literally cattle. Now, what it actually means is movable wealth. Most simply, money. The reason that makes sense is the Norse people would often had cows. They were a sign of wealth, and also they traded for other stuff with cows. Cows, in the largest sense, pretty much define their wealth. It's money that they can move around. They can trade things and everything else. So, it means movable wealth. Um, Alright, so it's wealth. Moving on to Ursus, which is you. It means Orok, maybe even Abdullah. So when you think of Abdullah, remember when the world was created, you had Ginnagap between the world of ice and the world of fire. And and Abdullah came into existence, which, which was the first being, and she nurtured Ymir, the first giant, and she let bury the first god out of the ice. So she created everything. She created life. Um, <clears throat> she also created the structure of the universe, really. So... <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. I call this, this is like that untamed potential, that order that we can create. The ability to create the universe in our own image. And and think about Feo. This is the wild ox as opposed to the domestic cow. This is something that creates its own universe. So, and a lot of people say this has to do with the ability to be a healing person. But what all of these have in common is it's, us as humans controlling the world, making it our image. So Feo is the way the world controls us. We need money. We need food. We need the world to live. Urzes is the way we control the world. We make houses. We heal our sick. We create in our own image. Okay. And now most of them, I'm not going to get into that level. I just want to show the difference between those two. Next is Thursis, which is TH. It means thorn or giant. So it's raw, uncontrolled power. You've got a potential for great destruction, but it's also it's also very powerful. And it's not evil, because Thor is actually also associated with this. Then we move on to Ansys, A, which is Odin. This means language, intellect, reason, spirit, etc., um, then we move on to R, or Radio, which is R, and this is a traveler journey. Oh, um, Ansys is 
language, intellect, everything about Odin. Okay, so. Kinnis, which is K or C, is torch. It means sight, revelation, fire, etc. Gibo is G, which is gift, and it's a gift from the gods, a gift to the gods, a gift from a person to a person. It's a gift. Giving or receiving a gift. Wonjo is joy, but it's a special type of joy. It's the type of joy that you get from being part of a group or organization. The joy of your kith and kin. Not just being happy, but the joy of being part of a group. Excuse me. We move on to Heimdall's at now. And we start with Haggles, which is H, which is hail. Means destruction, hailstorms. Alright, then we have Nothis, which is N, means need fire. It's something you need. You don't have it, but you need it. Move on to Isa, I, it's ice. Means stagnation, but could mean waiting. You know nothing's moving. Is that because you've stagnated, or is that because you're waiting for something to happen? Oftentimes, the runes, one thing can be seen negatively or positively, depending on the situation you're in. Moving on to Yera is J or Y, it means year. Turning of the seasons, harvesting, etc. I was means yew tree or yggdrasil. Now, it does say that the yew is connected to Odin, and I think it even mentions once that the yew tree is part of, or yggdrasil is yew tree. This is a very important rune. It's the connection between Asgard, Midgard, and Hell. It is the world tree. It means traveling the worlds, seeing the gods, communing with the gods, seeing the elves, communing with the elves, even communing with the dead. All of that is in Iowa's. It's the connection of the worlds. Perthos is P. It's lot box. It's just chance, luck, fate. Algiz. It's Z, protection. And it's protection, especially a defensive one, you know, um, setting up fortifications. It's especially that type of protection. Solas is S, it's victory or rebirth. It actually means sun. Uh, it's moving on to tears at. T is, or, I'm sorry, T was is T. It means tear, the god tear, the sword god. And it means sword, justice. Just war, sky god, um, you know, especially the idea of sky god. Burkano is B, which is birch. And what it means is nature, laws of nature. It also means pregnancy, birth, mother. Mother is a big one. Even the idea of mother earth. Awas is E, and it means horse. Think about horse. In the Norse society, you were always with your horse. Your horse let you travel, and it wasn't a car. You just don't jump in it. You have to feed it, care for it, get along with it, talk to it. So horse and man were very close. So this means harmonious dual, harmonious duality, a marriage, a closeness of two people. You think of the first one being the mother and the child, and then the man and the wife. All right, moving on to manis, which is M, which is man. It means society or mankind. Uh, lag, oh, okay, so manis is society. Now remember... Um, Oh, we had an... Oh, I just sort of lost my train of thought. Um, oh, right. Remember Wonjo, which was joy of being part of the group? That's part of... That's joy of being part of the group. Your own personal group. Manus is society in a bigger, more general way. Okay, Lagus is L, and it means water, and it means the stormy sea. You can also think here of 
It's the stormy sea. It's the uncontrollable, crazy, moving sea. The water. Water is often associated with the subconscious. So it's that tur turbulent subconscious that you really don't understand that raw subconscious power. Moving on to Ingwas is Ing, and it's the rune of Frey. It means seed, so you know the seed is planted now, but it grows later. You plant a seed, sits there, the rains come, it's nourished, and then it grows into something greater. Othila, O, family lands or Oda lands. This is the sacred groves, the family lands, the, your house that you're going to pass on to your kids, the house you're living in now that used to be your parents. And I know houses aren't really normally passed on to kids. We're not so focused on land anymore, so they used to be. But you'll pass on your property. You know, these family heirlooms, stuff like that can even kind of be in here. The, the things that you pass on to your children, it, it does specifically mean family lands though so i mean like passing on your house and your estate to your kid is is what this is really about uh dagus which is d or dawn is a new day the rising sun rebirth all of that okay those are the runes but we're not done yet let's take a look now this is going pretty quickly so Alright, let's say some more things. Remember I said there are three ets. You can stack those up on top of each other. And then read the columns. So the first column would be, what would it be? Feo, Haggles, and Tiwas. And look at how those make sense together. That's going to give you some information. Now that's something that's kind of hard to go into and I don't have anything written up on it and it's not just fresh in my mind. So I'm not going to go into that today, but you can also look at the um, the rows going across and see how those interconnect. And I am going to get into that a little bit today. But I wanted to mention the column thing because that's something good to do for, you know, extra study on your own sometime. I'm still working on those, trying to make sense of them, but there's definitely significance to reading it that way too. But the biggest way is reading them in rows. So let's go ahead and take a look again at phrase et. Now we've now that we've got a basic understanding of it. All right, Frey. Again, I said he's a god of the earth, right? So this is going to have to do with earthly things. Sort of us as people. The first thing we do on an earthly basis is going to be captured in this et. Um, and then we'll move on to Heimdall's et. Heimdall's an interesting god. Uh, I think that this one's really focusing on a magical side of things. Um, and will how you grow spiritually, maybe, but also how you grow magically is going to be in Heimdall's at. And then Tears at is... Tears at is really how you grow as a person. So let's do those again. Phrase at is how you very much see how I want to put this. Maybe I could say phrase at is how very much we as people physically 
come together. So it's how phrase et is how we as people naturally come together. Heindel's et is how a particular magician grows into what he is. And tears et is how an individual person goes through life. And this sort of makes sense if you think, okay, phrase et is the first evolution that we had. It's what kind of what made people people, what drew us together into these groups and societies. And once we had these groups and societies, we could work spiritually and with the gods and get our spiritual understanding. Um, so phrase that is the big picture, how we evolved, basically. Um, Heimdall's at is more specific, how you grow as a magician, and then tears at is even more specific, how an individual person grows. So let's go over this. Starting with phrase at, I said, so feo is how the earth controls you, I said. So, the first thing you have to do, the first thing people had to do before anything else, find shelter, find food. They needed to get the things that the earth gave them. Um, but they needed to get those things that the earth gave them so they could survive. Once they did that, they could move on to Urza's, which is the way we create the universe. They could start shaping the universe differently. They could start shaping the universe in their own world. So originally you had to live in a cave to keep from being in the rain. And when you were in that cave, you also had to go out and hunt food and bring it back and eat it. It's fail. But Urza's, you make a house and you have a pen with cows in it or something. <clears throat> now you're controlling the universe. You just go out and kill the cow. You've got all this leisure time. You have a bigger house, more things. Kind of what this is leading to, that we've unlocked our potential creativity. The next room, Thursus. Just as power. We can do whatever we want. We can make buildings. We can kill animals. We can make weapons. We can kill people. All of a sudden, we can go anywhere. We can do anything. It's a lot of power. It's uncontrolled power, and, you know, maybe we'll just turn into a bunch of hedonists. But the next rune, Anzis, which is Odin, very much, now that we've got this power, we need to use our language, but especially our reason, our intellect, to take this power of creativity and focus it and mold it into something useful. So, we've got this power, we've molded it into something useful, we've contained it, we've controlled it. Now what are we going to do with this thing, this knowledge? Maybe it's just the knowledge of farming. What are we going to do with this knowledge? Well, radio is next. We're going to take it somewhere. We're going to travel. And What's after? Where are we going to take it to? Well, we need kennis. We need sight, revelation, fire. And, and that's like the fire of motivation, the fire of will. Uh, we need sight. We need to know where we're going. So we're going to go, you know, maybe to a city, to another group of people, something like that. We're going to see, look, there's all these other people. My kin are hungry, too. I can take this this power which I've contained, I can take it to them. 
So you're going to use that site, that kennis, to go to them. And then the next room is Gibo. You're going to give it to them. You're going to gift it to them. Well, what's going to happen if you give people, especially your kin, some great contained power? They're going to use it, obviously. And then the next room is Wonjo, Joy. Yeah, they're going to be happy and you're going to be happy. But let's remember, this is the joy that comes from being part of a group or an organization. Part of a tribe. That thing that you've done, that that power that you've contained and taken and given to them, lets you be part of the group. It lets you be part of the tribe. And that gives you joy. You can kind of see how historically... That makes a lot of sense, that these people would learn this or that of themselves and then go to other people and form these groups and and have something greater than they did before. You know, we became humans, not just wandering individuals. So that's kind of how the whole tribe was created. So let's move to the next one, which which is Heimdall's Et. And, you know, once you've got the safety of the tribe, so to speak, you can start working on yourself. All right, so the first rune is Haggle's Destruction. This sounds sort of harsh. But when you think about it, it makes sense. In most magical journeys or rituals or anything like that, there's a part where you have to destroy yourself. There's a destruction, and just if you think about it, if you ever want to create something new, you need to destroy the old thing. If you want, if you've got a plot of land and you want a new house and your old house is sitting on it, well, you have to tear down the old house to build the new house. Um, An old forest ends up choking itself and strangling itself, but then, you know, Nature will bring along a thunderstorm that will strike of lightning, will set the whole thing on fire, and it will burn, and it will be destroyed. But after that, a new healthier forest will come out of it. This is the same thing. To start on this journey, you need to destroy yourself. And once you've been destroyed, you have the potential for rebirth. So the first thing you do here is you destroy yourself, you destroy everything you used to be, every everything that you currently are you completely destroy yourself and then the next thing is you see we've got Nothus which is need and you have to say well what is it that I need what is it that I don't have what what am I missing then the next one is Isa remember that's that's waiting and in almost any you know if you're doing any sort of magic after you've defined exactly what it is you need and created a sigil or whatever, the next thing that you do is simply forget about it. There's a point where you have to just wait. Nothing moves, nothing changes. You just sit with the situation and yourself and you wait. And then after that is Yera, you know, the turning of the season. So after that, after the wait, after you've destroyed yourself, the need has been defined, and you sat through waiting, the next part of the cycle happens. The thing you were waiting for is going to come about now. And that next rune is I was. Uh, The Yutri, Yggdrasil, the connection between the worlds. You know, depending on what you do... 
if you're actually trying to go to Asgard or Hell or some other world, then you would actually go. But I think what this is really getting at is a connection between all the worlds. And you can even sort of see this as discovering religion, I suppose. You destroy who you were thinking that the world is such and such. You realize you need more connection to a deity. You wait, the thing comes. And then I was is opening up of the rest of the world. Most people only see about half the world. Because there's a whole spiritual world that most people miss. There's a whole spiritual world that most people just never glance. And that's what I was is. It's opening up this spiritual world that nobody else sees. So this part, I was, you know, if you ever practice magic, it opens up this world. If you ever open yourself up to a bloat or a ritual where you commune with the gods, it also opens up this world. So this is opening up this whole other world and you are now part, you've always been part of the spiritual world, but you can blind yourself to it so it can have a very limited effect on you. But this is opening it up so you can see the entire uh, spiritual world and be affected by it. Then after that is Perthos, which is chance, luck, fate. Uh, this really makes most sense in the idea of doing like a magical act, something like a sigil or a bind rune, because when you think about, you know, all of this stuff, when your bind rune actually works or whatever, it works through the spiritual world. It doesn't work through physical means. It works through spiritual means. So you put it out there in the ether, and then it will actually work. But the way it works is through chance. It's like just something that had little chance of working actually will work actually will work you know if you did a sigil to oh I don't know get a job or something you know get a get a raise it's it's not like you just immediately get a raise it's more like your boss happens to walk past you when you're busy at work more often and also, you're probably busy at work more often. Or if you do a sigil to get your get more people to download your app in the App Store. The way it works isn't people just have an un, undeniable urge to download your app. It's more like your app just happens to catch their eye. You know, if I'm looking at apps, there's a whole bunch of them, and one of them might catch my eye randomly by chance, and I'll click on it. But if you did some sort of magical act, the theory is that the chance would be higher that, oh, look, it caught my eye. You know, all these things that are 50-50 chances happen to start going in your way. So it really makes sense that after you've done the spell, Perthos would be the next one because your chance, your your luck is affected. One after that is Algis, which is protection, which actually implies once you've kind of opened yourself up to the spiritual or magical world, you're in in some ways more at its mercy, too. 
And again, I think this makes more sense if we were talking about magic, because spiritually, I I think that you know you can go to rituals and open yourself up to the spiritual world, but the gods are going to look after you and protect you. And you've not just thrown yourself out there, so there's going to be not really any increased risk. But if you know you're actually doing magic, there really might be. I mean, and the big risk is, is you know, going crazy. Uh, you might start seeing things or something. You might start seeing things that you don't know what are. Uh, maybe they're figments of your imagination because it's important to increase your ma- imagination significantly when you do magic. Or you know maybe they're some sort of spiritual entity or something that you see now. And if you haven't done some, if you don't cast some sort of protection to make sure that those things don't drive you crazy, well, you're going to be in a bad place. So anytime after you do some magical act, it's important to cast some sort of protection so something bad doesn't happen to you. Because, you know, I mean, if you think about it in a more physical way, if you travel to, oh, I don't know, you travel to, you know, you're here in America and you travel to... some random island in the middle of the ocean, you should probably see if they've got a higher instance of some disease and get inoculated for it. You need to cast some protection. I mean, we all remember the thing about the Indians. They were exposed to all of the uh, to smallpox that the Europeans had and it just wiped them out because they had no protection to it. If you're going to start dealing with something new, a new person, a new world, you need to cast your cast some sort of protection or the other. You know, if you travel to some exotic tropical location, you probably need to make sure that you're up on your shots. Um, and if you travel into the realm of magic, you need to cast different types of protections. Okay, so now you've cast your protection. The last one is Solas, which is Sun. Okay, Victory. That kind of makes sense here. But the big one here is Rebirth. The Sun is a symbol of Rebirth for obvious reasons. Sunrises and such such not. Um, so you've done all of this work. You've done these things. You've understood something now. And now you are a new person. You start with Haggles. You start by destroying yourself. And you end with Solas. You end with being reborn. So that's kind of the whole picture there. So uh, you're reborn. Yeah, you're reborn after all of this. You're a new person now. You destroyed your old self and now you're a new self. Okay, let's move on to Heimdall's at. Remember I said this was kind of like the individual person. Okay, so Tiwaz is first. Tiwaz, of course, is sword justice, all that air, but it's also the sky god, and it's also a sword, which we see as a phallic symbol, which we see as a very masculine rune. This is probably the most masculine of all the runes. Why is that significant? Well, I mean, the idea of a sky god, the idea of a masculine rune and a phallic symbol it does actually kind of remind us of the idea of sex and the idea of the actual sexual act because men take and i don't want i don't want to say men take it but the masculine take on sex seems to be more the idea of you know the actual act of sex and 
this makes a lot of sense when you look at the next one. You know, you start with sex. The next one is Burkano, which, remember, I said means pregnancy or mother. And even if you look at the rune, it looks like a B, but you can kind of see it look like a, the outline of a pregnant woman with the breasts and then the pregnant belly. So you start, this is how we all start our lives. There's a sexual act, um, and then that's followed by a pregnancy. So Burkano here is meaning the pregnancy. And then the next rune in this one, after the pregnancy, well, and it means pregnancy and birth. So you've got the pregnancy followed by the birth. We have Awas, which is that um, closeness, that harmonious duality, that closeness of two. The very first closeness you have in your life is the closeness between a mother and a child. That's the first relationship you have, the mother and the child. So, you know, uh, you're conceived, you're born, you're with your mother, you have that closeness, but then you have to move on. You have to move out of your family, right? So what's next? Men is, which is society. You have to move out of your house and be part of society. And after that is Lagus. Well, and, I mean, from the rune poems, it basically means the dangerous stormy sea. Well, unfortunately, society is dangerous. It is stormy. It is risky. So you have to work yourself through life. Um, not to say life is unpleasant. Not to say life is bad. Not to say life is no fun. It's just that life is dangerous. There's nothing wrong with that. That goes with the territory. Life is dangerous. So after you embark on this journey, on the stormy seas of life, what's next? Ingwas, which is seed. Uh, the seed is planted now to grow later. So you kind of have the idea of, in the cycle of an individual, the seed of your future, the seed of what will replace you, is your own child. So you've already been born, but now you're planting your seed for your future generations. This is when, depending on who you are, this could be your child. Or maybe this is your legacy, whatever your legacy is going to be. But the child makes the most sense. So you've got this seed planted, the idea of now you're having a child. We follow that up by Othila, family land, sacred groves. You build something for your child or your legacy. You build something for your child to live in. You get them a future. You build your estate that they will inherit. So it's all set. It's all set for you to go on and them to take your place as a member of the human race. And then what's the last rune? Dagus. New day. Rising sun. Rebirth. And what this means is you've been conceived. You've been born. You've had the closeness of others. You've moved on to society in those dangerous stormy seas. You've planted your seed, your child. You've created a place for them to live. Everything's wrapped up. It's time for you to be reborn. And this is when you go to the afterlife, Valhalla or Gladsheim or wherever it is that you go. And we'll get into Norse afterlives eventually because there's a few of them. Um, but you've done everything. You've completed your physical life. And now it's time for you to be reborn into something new, into a spiritual entity. 
and that's why I really think Dagus makes sense on the end. Because the other way, it goes just the same. You plant your seed. It would be, it goes just the same, but as soon as you plant your seed or you have your child, I guess you could see Dagus is actually having your child. So your child is the rebirth of you. And then once they've been reborn, you start giving, you're basically dead and nothing, but you start working on their family lands. And you can, it's a little, it's a little fuzzier. It makes a little less sense that way, but you can kind of see it as saying, you are reborn through your children, and then you just need to make them a nice inheritance. But with the respect for the elders that Norse mythology seems to have, saying that your basic, and the fact that we have an afterlife, saying you're reborn only through your child, and once that's done, you're supposed to just get out of the way and work on a nice estate, doesn't make a lot of sense. It just makes a lot more sense to say, well, your new seed is the child then you create the family land so you can leave this world with everything accomplished and then you are reborn. You're reborn into another world because you've filled your role in the physical world so it's time to be reborn in the spiritual one. Uh, that's why I think Dagus makes a lot more sense. Um, there is something else interesting and I think I'm actually running low on time. Yeah, I don't want to keep everybody here. I I understand this episode could be a little dry. I think it's a lot of good information, but I can see it could be a little dry. Uh, something to do at home, because I'm not sure the significance of it. Now, remember how I said that you can take all three of these ets and line them up? And you can look at the columns, you know, like whatever the column is. Um, oh... Oh dear. Okay, so this section here, I know I sound like I'm all over the place. It's just some things I've forgotten that I wanted to to mention. All right, the first thing I want to do is say, who was it? I think it was Strauss who talked about all philosophy, the most important thing is in the middle, in the very, very center. Well, let's just apply that to the runes real quick. All right, well, Heimdall's at the middle at. It's got eight. So the middle, it's going to be a middle two, because it's eight, you can't have a middle one, is going to be Yer and Iwas. And when you think about that, that's the turning of the seasons and the world tree. So you've got an interesting thing in there, don't you? You've got the idea of everything is cyclical. This is what Yer means. Everything is cyclical. You know, summer follows winter, day follows night. Um everything we do, life and death, it, it all goes in a cycle. All of it. And that is right next to Iwas. The connection, the, you know, the world tree. I think in the runes right there, you really have an allusion to Ragnarok. You really have an allusion to the idea that the world tree, the place we live with all these other worlds too, is cyclical. We exists now but in at one and in the future we will be destroyed but we will then be reborn the idea there is the most important thing the central thing about this universe is we live 
cyclically in it. It's a cyclical universe. We move back and forth. Um, yeah, it's just showing that the the nature of the world is cyclical, and you do you see it everywhere in uni- in in you see it everywhere in the world with the seasons and and everything and the days and everything else. We constantly go through cycles, and and that's a good thing. We don't want to end that. We don't want to stop that. We don't want to beat nature. We don't want to destroy nature. So we don't have to. So this world doesn't have to end. And when this world ends, it's not like we just go on to some magic happy place. It starts again. We need to be part of the cycle. We need to be part of nature. We need to be part of the world. And we don't need to overcome nature. We need to live with it. And we don't need to overcome the cycle. We need to realize we're a part of it and find joy in that. So I wanted to bring that up. Um, the next thing I wanted to bring up, just real quick, is like I said about these ets, if you stack them on top of each other so that you you have columns now, and you know, like the first column would be the Feo, Haggles, and Tiwas. Now this is kind of interesting because you know we know that where music comes from and the fact that we use letters for notes, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, um... I don't really know where that comes from. But it could very possibly have come from our ancestors. And if you stack up all the runes and you put the letter names on top of them, so, for example, in that first ad I said, you'd say, okay, well, F would go on this first ad because Feo is F, uh, Haggles there's no H in music, and Tiwas, there's no T in music. Well, it turns out really strangely that if you do that, and there's seven letters, every single column will have a letter on top of it, a letter, only one letter, except for the very middle one, which has Iwas in it, um, which is kind of the center of, which is close to the center of of the rune, so you kind of think maybe that means rest. You know, you've got all these notes and then silence, which the central Iwas column represents silence. And first of all, it's another reason I think Dagus is supposed to be at the end, because if Dagus, if Othila was at the end, it wouldn't work, because one column would have two letters, and then the whole thing is thrown off. But since Dagus is at the end, and I don't know why this is significant. I just want to bring it up because it's one of those strange things. Maybe it's meaningful. Maybe it's a coincidence. But nonetheless, it's it's interesting. It works out this way. That if you line up the the uh, three ets, one and only one note will fit into each column. And it's kind of a fun thing to just do. So, you know, maybe you should just do, just do that if that sounds interesting to you. Okay, that was a long one, and, I mean, it's the same time, but it was just me talking the whole time, so it felt very long. Um, Hopefully not too bad for the listeners out there. So, just to sum everything up, there is... There's a meaning, there's a story, there's an understanding to to the runes, um... Being also true, 
they were given to us by Odin. There's a lot of the gods in the rune. You know, you've got a rune for Odin, a rune for Tyr, a rune for Thor, a rune for Frey. I think that it's a very good thing to study these runes and understand these runes and especially work them work with them yourself. That's the best thing you can possibly do is get some basic definitions from the internet, even my website, um, or books in the store, whatever. Get a basic definition of the runes there and then work with them yourself and see where they take you. I think they can help you understand the gods a lot. I think they can really bring you closer to the gods. I think they can even help you understand the world at large, the universe in general. Because there is a meaning to them. There are secrets of the runes. And what I've done here only touched on the surface. Because most of the secrets I don't know myself. But, you know, I want to learn them. And I think there's a lot in here. So I think the runes are absolutely worthwhile to learn. I hope you found this helpful or at least interesting. Uh, Again, I would like to say feel free to visit my website at www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. Please send any questions, comments, or ideas for future shows to Podcast at gmail.com. Again, I hope you've enjoyed this show. And I'm still releasing on a monthly basis, so I will see you next month for a hell.